It's four o'clock in the afternoon. This is Newswire with Tom Douglas and myself, Stephen Murphy. Coming up on today's show, as the Church of Scientology opens a National Affairs Office in Dublin, we'll be joined live in the studio by former Scientologist Pete Griffiths. With Decision Day just five weeks away, Larry Donnelly will update us on the latest in the US election. A medical council inquiry is taking place investigating 24 allegations of professional misconduct into a junior doctor who worked mostly in Mullingar. And we'll have the latest global news including Russia and US calling off talks on Syria and the rejection of the Colombia peace deal. That's all after the latest news with Clara Hickey. Live, online and on your mobile, this, this is DCUFM News. Good evening, it's four o'clock, I'm Clara Hickey. The health watchdog HIQA has again published concerns about treatment of patients at care facilities around the country, with non-compliance being the biggest issue. In Donegal, allegations of abuse and malpractice were not being reported further up the chain therefore leaving patients vulnerable to exploitation. The body published reports on 20 facilities this morning, with nine of those getting good compliance scores, but the rest are allegedly putting patients at serious risk of fire, among other issues. First-time homebuyers in Ireland will have to save their pennies for around four years, according to new research from the Central Bank. Research following a couple in a rented Dublin house estimated that they would have to save for nearly three years to buy a three-bedroom house of their own. The most stunning stat was that the average deposit for a first-time buyer in Dublin is approximately 76,000, over twice the deposit required in 2014. Commuter towns around the capital join Cork and Galway in the 20,000 deposit range, while rural areas fall lower again. The Irish government are seeking a special status regarding a border in Northern Ireland as part of Brexit arrangements. Minister for Foreign Affairs Charlie Flanagan said the government will seek a legal recognition of the unique status of the North and the circumstances on the island. An all-island civic dialogue was set up today by the government, which will involve political parties, trade unions and business groups from the north and south. The government have accelerated preparations for Brexit in wake of the British Prime Minister Theresa May announcing the UK will formally begin leaving the union by the end of March 2017. A seven-year-old girl has taken to social media to document her life in the war-stricken Syria. Bana Alabed began tweeting pictures of her home last Wednesday with captions such as This is our bombed garden. I used to play nowhere, now nowhere to play. Last Wednesday, UNICEF said that nearly 100 children have been killed in the past 11 days as Syrian and Russian warplanes dropped bombs over eastern Aleppo. And finally, a man was found dangerously driving with his pants undone by Gardaí on Valentine's night in a court in Donegal here today. The man was driving home with his wife when his car took an unexpected swerve, prompting the Gardaí to pull Melvin Russell and his wife Donna over. Although the Gardaí at the scene claims his pants were undone, Mr Russell said his buckle was simply broken. That's all the news for now. Weather is next. Margarita or Hawaiian? Margarita or Hawaiian? What are you doing? This is a very important module. I'm just ordering some pizza on Facebook. You're ordering pizza on Facebook? Yeah, Domino set up this fantastic new page that lets you get all the best deals and offers for DCU students. Can you get me some wings? Yeah, I will, yeah. If you're smart like me, you'll go to facebook.com forward slash Domino's DCU and get yourself some pizza, some wings, and some cookies. Domino's Pizza Fingers. They get it first in my book. DCU FM Weather. Mainly dry this evening with sunny spells, top temperatures of 14 to 17 degrees. Remember, you can keep up to date with news throughout the day on Facebook and on Twitter at DCUFM News. That's all the news for now. Stay tuned for Newswire. 
Newswire. DCUFM. Action replay. DCUFM. Barometer. DCUFM. UFM. 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 DCUFM. This is silence. That was just 15 seconds. So imagine a day, or a week, or even longer. Whatever it is, and whenever you feel it, you don't need to suffer alone. Talk to us at Samaritans. Call free, 116-123. Newswire, it's 4.12. Email scandals, tax return, comments about Mexico and migrants. It's fair to say there have been plenty of talking points in the US election campaign so far, with five weeks to go until America decides between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump as their next president, both candidates are ramping up their campaigns to try and convince new voters. To discuss the election so far and what the coming weeks might hold, I'm joined on the line by Larry Donnelly, law lecturer at NUI Galway and political columnist. Thanks for joining us, Larry. Good to be with you. Now, first of all, the tax returns. Is Donald Trump completely finished? No. I mean, I, I think uh, part of the, the, the very strong reaction over here comes from a very different attitude uh, that I think Europeans have towards paying taxes versus Americans. Uh, I think even the the most left of center uh, Americans uh, consider taxes as something bad, and they don't they don't look forward to paying them uh, at all. And, and I think especially um, the the way the United States tax code is written, uh, it actually allows for uh, wealthy people to make all sorts of deductions uh, and to and to play the system as best they can. So while while Donald Trump, you know, clearly you know hasn't paid taxes for a while, and clearly that's why he was so frightful uh, of his tax returns being released. Uh, the net political impact of this, I suspect, uh, is relatively negligible. I don't think that this is going to uh, to really harm him going forward. But uh, who knows? With the way this year's campaign uh, has unfolded, it's hard to know. How about the $900 million plus losses that the New York Times reported on? They were quite stringent about those numbers being da- fairly damning in his regard. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think if anything else, it points to the fact that he has a very checkered career in business. Uh, he's failed many, many times. He's had many failings. Uh, and indeed, you know, one of the things that some financial analysts have said is that if he took the money that his father gave him to begin his career and simply put it into uh, some very safe, stable, long-term uh, investment funds, that he'd actually have more money uh, than he does now. But clearly, he lost a tremendous amount of money. Uh, he declared that loss over the uh, one single year, I think, 1995. Uh, and as a result, the way the United States tax code is written, 
he's able to write off lots of earnings and different things after that um, because of his, the losses he incurred. Uh, I think to some extent this is an indictment uh, of the United States uh, income tax code as much as it is, as it is uh, an indictment of Donald Trump. Now, on those that tax system, you say it's written in a more complicated way than most people can understand. Would it not have been cleverer for him to say, look, these are the loopholes I used, this is the system that I've done, and uh, I'm going to close those loopholes or I'm going to sort out this problem so our country can pull, herse- pull itself out of this massive debt? I agree with you there. I think from a political point of view, uh, whenever you have anything like this, you're better off getting out in front of it and addressing it. Uh, and I think he could have turned this around and spun it. Indeed, now they're trying to spin it you know, from, from a bad angle. Um, but if he had been out in front of it, he could have certainly done uh, just what you just said. Uh, and I think that this is one failing on his on his. Uh, on his part, but I think uh, on the Democratic side, we have Hillary Clinton, who I think has been dogged and ha- has allowed things to grow and continue because she similarly has not got out in front of potential weaknesses. She's been reactive rather than proactive, uh, and I don't think that's a good thing when you're running a presidential campaign. Just looking at the candidate's position on taxes, Hillary Clinton's tax code changes would cost her family money, but Donald Trump has been fairly evasive when it comes to that question himself. Yeah, I, 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 it's it's very difficult, and I, I think you know when we get to the to to the tax code and trying to reform taxes, you have to understand it's a Herculean task. Uh, so I don't think it's one that many Americans would would really dig into in terms of their own pol- their, the the two candidates' positions uh, on taxes because of all the vested interests. Uh, around the tax code, et cetera. And also you look at the fact that one way or another, whether Donald Trump is elected president or Hillary Clinton is elected president, they're not going to be able to affect very much reform one way or another um, because of the composition of the Congress. So, um, you know, again, the, the American tax code is what it is. It's not great. Uh, I think a lot of people would prefer a simpler, fairer system but many's the politician, many's the presidential candidate uh, who's announced that he or she was going to try to reform uh, the United States tax code, uh, and it never, ever has worked out. Just on Hillary Clinton, we're seeing a couple of, I'm not sure if they're particularly reliable sources, saying that WikiLeaks has information on her and has the ability to cause a big ruckus on her side of the campaign. Can you give us a comment on that? Well, I mean, you know, this has been looming in the background for some time now, and this is Julian Assange and, and WikiLeaks and all these revelations and the talk about an October surprise that somebody, something was going to come to light that would be so damaging to Hillary Clinton that it would change the dynamics of the presidential race altogether. Uh, all we've seen so far is, I mean, some smoke, some smoke created uh, by Mr. Assange and absolutely no fire. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know what he's at. I think a lot of it is self-promotion, promotion for WikiLeaks. But there has been nothing that's come to light to date uh, that would have such an impact on the presidential race. We'll have to hold on and see what happens. Now, Larry, one more question for you, and it's going to be a really, really tough one for you. I want you to call the election for me. It's not a tough one. It, Hillary Clinton will be the next president of the United States. The, it is extremely difficult for me to see uh, how Donald Trump can win. I, I would encourage all listeners to go to the website 270 to win and look at all the potential paths uh, that Hillary Clinton has to the presidency versus the, the path that Donald Trump has. 
I shouldn't say it's impossible, but it's highly um, improbable that Donald Trump will be the next president. Uh, I'm reasonably confident to say uh, that Hillary Clinton will be the president. It's a question, first, I suppose, uh, of what the margin will be, and then second, uh, how is she going to try to unite what is uh, a manifestly divided country? I appreciate your confidence. Larry Donnelly, law lecturer at NUI Galway and political columnist, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. We've all got one. Our surefire stomach liner, a pint of milk, a big feed, a banana or two. The truth is, your body gets rid of roughly one standard drink per hour. That's half a pint or one small glass of wine or one pub measure of spirits per hour. And no amount of soakage can prevent that. So if you're drinking tonight and you think you're okay to drive tomorrow morning, you might want to think again. Like the RSA says, never ever drink and drive. Drinkaware.ie. Rethinking our drinking. Welcome back to Newswire. It's 4.21. Remember, you can keep up to date with news throughout the day on Facebook and Twitter at DCUFM News. No idea of the effects of certain drugs. He was prescribing, unable to interpret blood test results and unable to do basic CPR. That was the damning verdict of a medical tribunal on a doctor in Dublin. Our correspondent, Ashling McGovern, is with me now for more. Ashling, what's the detail of this case? professional misconduct and or professional performance of a junior doctor. The allegations come against 36-year-old uh, Dr. Multaignam Kassaraj, who prefers to be call, uh, known as Dr. Shripathi. Dr. Shripathi worked in child and adolescent psychiatric services in Mullingar for the first half of 2013 before he secured position as a senior house officer at St. Lomond Psychiatric Hospital in Mullingar between July 2013 and January 2014. <coughs> the hearing in Dublin was told that Dr. Shrapathy was unable to conduct a neurological examination and that he was unaware of the basics of life support and was unable to perform cardiopulmonary resuscitation and, was una- and how to manage a basic me- medical emergency. The hearing was also told that he had no understanding of what a malignant melanoma was. He could was also unaware what a herpes simplex, a cold sore was, and he was also unaware of the difference between a branded or generic drug. Dr. Shripathi, who is originally from India, qualified with a degree in medicine from Bulgaria in 2005. He was granted the right to practice in Ireland by the Medical Council in 2012. Along with allegations, it is also alleged that Dr. Shripathi failed to record adequate medical notes, treatment plans and he prescribed incorrect dosage of drugs to some patients. In addition, it is also alleged that Dr. Multangnam Kasaraj uh, failed to mark up an updated suicide assessment on one of his patients. The inquiry heard from Dr. Kieran Kukorkin who is Dr. Shripathi's supervising consultant psychi- psychiatrist at St. Lomans. Dr. Kukorkins told the hearing that no patients were harmed by the incorrect drug dosages as they were written by Dr. Shripathi in letters for the GPs of patients. It was reported that he has not been found guilty of professional misconduct. All right, thanks, that, thanks very much for that, Ashling. Tom. Our correspondent Dan O'Connor is here now to bring us up to date with the latest global news. Dan, what's the background of this peace deal between the Colombian government and the FARC rebels we've heard so much about? 
Well, there's been 52 years of civil war in Colombia. But the country was recently given a chance to end the conflict after 52 years of civil war. The low-intensity war has been going on since 1954 between the Colombian government and groups that support them and left-wing revolutionary groups such as FARC, as you mentioned there, Tom. Colombian voters were given the opportunity to formally end the war over the weekend and allow guerrilla fighters to reintegrate into the country's population. But just over 50%, exactly 50.24% of voters voted against this and so forth. The peace deal will not go ahead. It seems odd for citizens voting against ending a civil war that's been going on for so long. Do we know the reason? Well, there's been people speculating there's several reasons being talking about that being talked about, excuse me, explaining why Colombian voters might have done so. One's being that the country's president, Juan Manuel Santos, at the moment, he isn't very popular amongst the voters. And because he was such a prominent figure in the lead up to this referendum, it may have alienated them by campaigning so heavily for it. And there's also still a huge inequality of wealth in Colombia, and that's a massive reason as well. A survey found last year that nearly half of Colombia's land is owned by just 0.4% of the population. And even had this agreement passed, a few of those who gained land through paramilitary violence uh, were ready to hand it back. So they, they had nothing to gain from it. The FARC is the most prominent revolutionary group and there were ears that many of the members would enter politics and plan to turn the country into a left-wing dictatorship if this had passed. Of course, that's just speculation, but uh, that is something that was predicted that may happen should this peace deal have gone ahead. But regardless of all these reasons, you still have to question how this could be the right position because even in the last few years, these forces are still targeting and killing, killing peacemen in dozens and hundreds you know, every year. It's estimated that one in six Colombian citizens have been directly affected by the war since it began and 220,000 people have died during the conflict. So one can only hope at least that this rejection doesn't lead to a resurgence in violence. We move on to Syria now. There was talks ongoing between Russia and the USA to introduce a ceasefire. Can you update us on that? Plans for a ceasefire between Russia and the USA over the Syrian bombing campaign. Unfortunately, they have fallen through after the US cut off contact with their Russian counterparts. Russia are currently bombing the town of Aleppo alongside Syrian government forces. The town is currently being held by rebel forces in the country. These Russian airstrikes and Syrian airstrikes have particularly targeted hospitals in the town. Just this Monday, one of the town's last three major hospitals were kit, were, was hit, excuse me, left a huge side uh, hole in the side of the hospital and it killed seven people. The US Press Secretary John Ernest, Josh Ernest spoke to the media recently and he explained the reason behind why the United States had run out of patience with Russia. So what we have seen from the Russians in the year or so since their military intervention in Syria is that they have not made much progress against ISIL. Uh, they claim that the reason that they're in, Russia, or in Syria is to fight extremists, but they haven't made a significant, they haven't achieved a significant counter-ISIL objective in more than seven months, and they've been reduced to trying to claim credit for successful U.S. operations. So, so as made evident by Mr. Ernest's comments there, uh, Western diplomats say that they expect a very tough battle over the resolution, but argue that the alternative is Security Council silence on, on the horrors of Syria and what's going on at the moment. Despite the setback, though, the UN has insisted they will continue to work towards resolution. Actually, uh, yes, yeah, Staffan de Misura is the UN official in charge of the envoy seeking peace in Syria. He was appointed by the General Secretary Ban Ki-moon. And his office was quoted saying that the UN will continue to push energetically for a political solution of the Syrian conflict, regardless of what he described as the very disappointing outcome of intense and long discussions among two crucial international stakeholders. So while it appears that both countries will continue to have a role to play in the conflict, it doesn't appear that there will be a great deal of cooperation between them in the foreseeable future.
moving to Poland now in, in an event that parallels a lot of what's been going on in Ireland as well yeah, there's been plenty of protests and debates surrounding Ireland's repeal the 8th campaign over the last few weeks. And now Poland has sparked international interest also in relation to their own abortion laws. Thousands of Polish women and men took to the streets of Warsaw yesterday dressed in black to express their disapproval of the country's newly proposed anti-abortion bill. Like Ireland, uh, Poland is a predominantly Catholic country. I think it's 86% of people identify themselves as Catholic. But unlike our country, Poland currently has laws which makes uh, abortion illegal in some cases and circumstances. There's three. If there's a rare fetal anomaly, if there's a threat to the mother's life, or in cases where the pregnancy has resulted from rape or sexual abuse, uh, abortion is permitted. So what is this bill, new bill hoping to introduce? Well, they already have one of the most restrictive abortion policies in Europe, despite the fact that they are still allowed under those three circumstances. But now the government have insisted that they want to outlaw abortion entirely. They are even considering they want to send women to prison for up to five years for having an abortion. And uh, doctors or medical practitioners who assist them in having one can also be prosecuted too. Protests took place throughout Poland and Europe yesterday. It stretched as far as Brussels, where one woman echoed the sentiments of women throughout Poland and Europe. We consider it torture and uh, we consider it that uh, it's a barbaric law uh, from medieval and we don't accept it to be like that. That's why he came here today to demonstrate against it. So despite this, these protests were mostly dismissed though by the country's government. Their foreign Wis- minister, Witold Wasikowski, actually said in an interview with a Polish radio station, let them have their fun. So it is expected that this may lead to further action. For example, many businesses and shops and the likes in Poland yesterday actually gave uh, the protesters a day off work to go into Warsaw. But as of yet, the government appears to be insistent on not backing down. So we'll have to wait and see what happens there. We'll keep our eyes on that. And finally, there's been some bad news concerning Haiti again, only a few years after the big earthquake in 2011. Yeah, they're still actually in the recovery process of uh, the horrors that happened in 2011. But now, as recently, it was yesterday, actually, Haiti was devastated by Hurricane Matthew in the Caribbean. It killed one person and damaged homes throughout the country's southwestern peninsula. The Category 4 storm is being described as the fiercest storm to hit the Caribbean in over a decade, resulting in power outages in places and forcing those living in shacks along the coastline to seek shelter elsewhere. Now, this is actually quite a big deal to Haitians in particular because it's been reported before that poor Haitians, they often refuse to leave their homes even in the case of a hurricane or a storm such as this because they fear that the little belongings they have will be stolen should they leave their homes. So it's expected now that this hurricane will move past Haiti and will be moving towards Cuba and Bahamas throughout the week. It's also possible that the storm will even travel as far as the tip of Florida, although it will not possess the same strength as it did when it hit Haiti. Thanks for that, Dan. Still to come, we'll be joined by former Scientologist Pete Griffiths and speak to Sinn Féin's finance spokesperson, Pierce Dotty, about their budget proposals. Your mobile phone takes your attention off other cars, pedestrians and cyclists, the road, what you're doing behind the wheel, all of your surroundings. Your mobile takes all your attention, and behind the wheel, it makes you four times more likely to crash. It won't kill you to put it away from the Road Safety Authority. Man United left it late in 99. The Dubs left it late in September. 
But here in Domino's Pizza Fingless, we're used to leaving it late all the time because we're open to 5am every day of the week for all your pizza needs. Domino's Pizza Fingless at 018110099. Domino's Pizza Fingless, open to 5am because that's what we do. DCUFM Weather. Today will be mostly cloudy with a chance of meatballs. Sunny spells wine-uns if it's backwards, but that's not important right now. Top temperatures between here and here. Also, happy birthday to Leandra Pondock, who's 34 today. And, if you have time, tune in to DCUFM, Ireland's best student radio station. Carrie shines a light for children and families affected by child sexual abuse. Our life-changing work is only possible thanks to people like you continuing to support us. Help make a positive difference. Text THERAPY to 50300 to donate €2 or visit our website www.carry.ie. 100% of your donation goes to Carry across most network operators. Some operators apply that, which means that a minimum of 163 will go to Carry, a service provider like charity. Welcome back to Newswire. Now, Scientology has a checkered image in Ireland following documentaries from the likes of Louis Theroux with, and also the Going Clear documentary. With the news that the church is to open a national affairs office here in Dublin, Pete Griffiths is here to shed some light on the church and what this means for the capital. Pete, you're very welcome. Thanks very much for coming in. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, great. So how did you get involved with the church, first of all? Years ago, I, I became a member, but it wasn't a church. It was self-help, um, and that's one of the things they masquerade as. They masquerade as a self-help group, and if you think you can improve yourself, which of course everyone can, they sucker you in. After a while, it became obvious that there was a lot of things wrong, but it took a long time to work it out and realise that it was corrupt. So what's it like being involved with Scientology? As a member? Yeah. It's, it's, inc- it's an incredible experience in many ways, because... Scientologists don't believe anything, okay? They think they know. But as you can probably appreciate, thinking you know something is actually a belief. So they believe they know something, but they think they know it. Does that make sense? It's Not it, really, but I imagine okay, that's the yeah. sort of warped well, that's, logic they that's use That's Scientology for you. So they walk around feeling superior to everybody, but there's no reason why they should. There's no evidence that, that, that they are superior but they walk around thinking that they are superior. And that's a belief rather than an actual knowledge. But they think it is a scientific knowledge, which of course it isn't, so. And why did you feel drawn to Scientology in the first place? Uh, I really wasn't. No one actually joins Scientology. They actually make you a member. Um, There's um, a recruitment film made some years ago where the brother of the current leader tells people to sell books, get people in, and make them into Scientologists. And that's that's entirely what they do. That's the whole purpose of the office in Abbey Street in Dublin. They want people to become Scientologists, and they'll do anything to make them Scientologists. So, See, obviously there's been a lot of... There's always a lot of speculation around Scientology, what goes on. seems to be a lot of secrecy. So can you just shed some light on what actually goes on day to day if you're a fully paid up signed member of Scientology? You don't get the secret stuff. I mean, all you do is you're improving yourself. You're doing courses, how to improve your finances, how to improve your marriage, how to improve whatever. The secret stuff comes once you've paid in a lot of money and invested a lot of time. So it's almost like it's like 
spirituality for pay. It's like a pyramid scheme that sells spirituality, but of course you don't get it in the end, you know. And anyone who saw that Going Clear documentary that I mentioned in the intro, it'll it sets out there's as you say a pyramid sort of structure. They they kind of make out that there's this pyramid you climb, and eventually when you get to the top, there's some sort of Pandora box of secrets that's opened, and all of your life's well, supposedly you you're meant to be like like akin to godlike if if you believe what they say, complete control over matter, energy, space, time, thought, form, life, and events, which just just about everything really, isn't it? That that makes you into God, except you're not, but you walk around thinking you are. So, so this National Affairs Office in Dublin that's being opened it's quite unusual in the sense that there's only one other like it in the world in Washington and there's been reference to these 4D campaigns that they're talking about what are they? 4D is abbreviation for fourth dynamic and quite simply it means mankind as opposed to the first dynamic second dynamic third dynamic and you can read all about that on their own website or any other um, it's where they essentially put up a big false flag and say hey look at us we're doing something about the drug problem about this problem that problem in actual fact they're not um my personal view about that office is it's just going to generate litter until it closes and do you think there's an audience here in ireland for <laughs> scientology <laughs> sorry for laughing um there's there's a few scientologists in ireland yes of course there's 20 to 40 i'm not too sure of the exact amount <sighs> It's done, on the one hand, to make them feel good about themselves because um, Ireland, for some real reason, has been like you know hitting above its weight in terms of um, criticisms of Scientology. And I think it was done to some degree to counter the efforts that have been put in by a lot of um, you know well, good-hearted people. Um, we criticised them in a court affidavit for having a crappy office for the Truth About Drugs campaign. And we showed photographs of the Los Angeles and the London offices, and it was a post box. It was a door. It was a letterbox. No name, no phone number. And the question was raised, well, what if you're an addict and you need help? Where'd you go? Could it be possible that what we put in the affidavit has made this office open? I don't know, but it happened four five months later, and they've got tons of money to spend. So it's possible. But, uh, yeah, it, it's, you know, they think it's helping them. Let them go for it. When you were in the church, when did you start to get a sense that actually there was something more sinister going on here. It, you always are aware of it, but you do nothing about it. It's like you turn a blind eye, and and that's what keeps it going. Everyone's kept in, held in place by this like sense of fear. Because if you speak out, you'll be in trouble. If you speak out, you'll lose your friends. If you speak out, you'll lose Scientology. And that's one of the things they're really afraid of. Is like they call it losing their eternity, which means like, well, what does it mean? Who knows? Um, a, t a friend of mine was once challenged by a Scientologist. Have you got a dictionary? And he said, yes, of course. Look up the word eternity. Well, I think we know what it means. They claim to sell eternity. Oh, really? You can buy eternity for money? No, I don't think so. And when you went about the process of leaving the church, is that an easy thing to do? Or no. do they make it very, very difficult for you to step away from that in logic. my case in my case it was pretty easy because i mean they more or less threw me out and that's a, that's a hell of a long story to go into we've you, got time oh have we <laughs> oh okay well it began because i stopped actually doing what i was supposed to be doing and i was running a little mission like the one in dublin uh which is selling books getting people in getting them interested and i stopped doing it for the simple reason is i held i held an event 
and a couple of hundred Scientologists showed up and it was meant to, you know, everyone was meant to pay for the dinner. And I said, shall I collect money beforehand? And I was told, no, no, it'll be okay. Everyone will pay on the night. Well, of course, on the night, nobody wanted to pay. And I ended up with this like bill for a couple of thousand pounds it was. And, you know, I felt sorry for the Scientologists because they would have, I mean, who wouldn't, you know, who, who would get a meal for nothing without offering to pay? And I, it dawned on me that these people were actually broke, you know. They couldn't even pay for a meal out on a, on a big annual Scientology occasion. So it kind of made me think twice about what I was doing. And I stopped actually running the mission at that point because I thought, well, why am I going to bring people in? They can't afford to buy a meal, you know. Um, okay, it wasn't McDonald's. It was, it was in a hotel. It was a little bit posher than your average kind of meal. But it was still just a meal when all said and done. And if you go out and, you know, you agree to go to a thing, how could you not, you know, pay? So after six weeks of not producing, they basically said, OK, that's it. The mission's gone out of your hands now. Somebody else can can take over and run. And I still didn't realize that there was something like basically wrong with the whole thing. I held on to the beliefs for a very long time, but it began the process of starting to you know, wake up and realize that there was a problem. You mentioned people there who couldn't even afford a proper meal. Is there that sense that Scientology really takes advantage of people who are vulnerable? Without a doubt. Absolutely without doubt. The one thing that you can get away with in Scientology, you know, I mean, I'd, I'd have got away with that. If I'd carried on producing and, and, and making money for them, they'd have been happy enough. And they do say you can get away with murder as long as you're making money. And if you look online, you will see there's so many incidences of Scientologists getting away with things because they were making money for Scientology. It's, it's pretty awful. Um, in Ireland, there's been people taken to banks for a car loan, but they didn't get a car with the money. They handed it over to Scientology, and that's a crime. And I'm prepared to go on the record having said that. It's a crime to fraudulently get money from the banks for a car loan and then to give it to Scientology. Scientology in America, where it is based and founded, has religion status, which basically <laughs> gives it a load of tax exemptions. Is there that sense that it's basically a glorified money-making scheme? I think that's basically all it is. L. Ron Hubbard himself, and again, you can read this stuff online. Steve Canaan, actually, in Australia, just brought a book out last week called Fair Game, in which he goes into how Scientology morphed from being a bankrupt self-help group into a religion. And they call it religious cloaking, which simply, you know, it's like you put a cloak on something that's got religion written all over it and it becomes a religion. It's only a religion simply because they say it is. It, they don't even worship anything except money, maybe, you know. And do you think with all that money they have, there is an end to Scientology or is it ah, here to stay? Good question. How long will your money last if you keep buying buildings in Merrion Square? I just don't know, you know. But they've got billions, so, I mean, they could buy the whole of Merrion Square. Well, Pete, very interesting to talk to you. Thanks very much for coming in. Pete You're welcome. Griffiths, former Scientologist, will be joined by Pierce Doherty, the Sinn Féin finance spokesperson, after this short break. Really? <laughs> DCUFM weather. Today will be mostly cloudy with a chance of meatballs. Sunny spells wine uns if it's backwards, but that's not important right now. Top temperatures between here and here. Also, happy birthday to Leandra Pondock, who's 34 today. And if you've time, tune in to DCUFM, Ireland's best student radio station. Oh, hello, 
how's it going, Johnny? Oh, Mum, uh, hi, how are, are you? Are they treating you well up uh, there in Dublin? Lovely, lovely, yeah. Great, how yeah. are your classes going? Uh, actually, I've been to every single one so far, that's Mum. That's great, yeah. that's great. And are you eating well, love? Well, Mum, I'll have you know, I'm eating like a god. Domino's Pizza Fingless, feeding me every night of the week until 5am. Welcome back to Newswire. Budget 2017, two words that could send shivers down the spines of the most hardened political figures in Ireland. Sinn Féin have drafted a list of, Sinn Féin, excuse me, have drafted a list of their proposals. Here to decode the numbers with me is finance spokesperson Pierce Doherty. Thanks for joining us, Pierce. No problem at all. I'm glad to be here. Now, backing rural Ireland, first of all, can you comment on that for us, please? Yeah, well, what this is about is um, supporting, obviously, our rural communities. So Sinn Féin have identified um, areas where we need to invest in our rural communities. Uh, we want to see pharmacists uh, replaced to the levels it was in pre-2013 when the cuts were uh, taking place that affected uh, farmers in, in our rural communities. We also see, want to see a package of €100,000 uh, invested into our local um, and regional roads infrastructure. Anybody who's living in the, the local communities will know what the impact has been of uh, seven or eight years austerity in terms of their uh, local communities themselves. Um, but part of our overall package in terms terms of the budget is about a 1.23 billion euro uh, investment in capital infrastructure and what that does is uh, build the roads, build the hospitals, build the houses, housing that we need, uh, build the schools that we need and the key thing about that there is it reaches into every region of the country and not just concentrated in uh, the more urbanised areas of, of the state. There are some proposals here that are continuous costs rather than you say roads or a one-off stuff like that uh, tackling third level fees a big one for ourselves in DCU uh, we see this, uh, some talk of a loan scheme coming in in years to come and there's protests about it the union of students are not happy DCU SU are not happy how does Sinn Féin got, how is Sinn Féin going to tackle that well we've ruled out uh, a loan scheme we're very very um strong in relation to that, very firm in our, in our view in relation to that. I think we're only we're the only uh, one of the three political parties that have done so uh, at this point in time. Uh, what we want to do is uh, recognising the Castles report and the need for increased investment into third level education. What we've done here in year one uh, since the Castle reports has been published is uh, to invest €80 million Euro into third level uh, at a current level, that's basically uh, repeating costs every year and €40 million Euro into um, building and capital infrastructure. Uh, so that's made up of a number of uh, measures, and one of the measures would be to reduce the student contribution charge by €500, Euro because the option of the three options that we believe in terms of Castles, the Castles has put forward, is that there should be no uh, third-level fees whatsoever. Uh, so in year one, we're starting to reduce that by €500, Euro and we'll continue to do so until they're eventually gone and replacing the lost money and additional other money uh, to the third level sector through um, progressive taxation. Moving down a level now to second level, we see teachers aren't happy with their pay, we see the school buildings have, haven't been built, stuff has been promised, there's a, a sports hall in my own area that has been promised for years and has not been built. Um, just second level seems to be a bit of a mess at the moment. 
Yeah, look, one of the big issues is, you know, we've had an investment strike for the last number of years. We've seen our capital investment going from about 10 billion euro down to 4 billion euro, and we're really playing catch up. We've got the lowest level of capital investment in Europe. Um, it's pathetically low in, in, in this country. So what Sinn Féin are saying is use the the rules, the flexibility within the rules to try and front load as much capital investment as possible. Uh, so that is about, you know, making sure that our our, our schools uh, are fit for purpose. We've an expanding population. Uh, we need to, uh, we've got pressures in terms of demographics. We need to ensure that our schools can meet that demand, but also that they're able to compete with the best. Uh, and, you know, education is one of the main drivers in the economy. Uh, and unless we actually uh, ensure that we have the, t- the, the fit for purpose buildings and then the right mix in terms of teachers and class sizes within them, uh, you know, we're not going to get the best from our students and that's why we've made it very clear in our alternative budget that education is a, is a core principle and a core priority for Sinn Féin uh, and we've made the investment that, that, that we believe is, is required in, 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 in that area. Sticking with education and children for the moment, 11, 111 million to be spent on cutting childcare fees by an average of 95, 96 euro a week each. How do you propose to pay for that? Yeah, so, well, in relation to the childcare fund, um, the total childcare fund uh, across a number of measures um, is 254 million euro. Part of that is a, a fund of 111 million euro, which will be targeted at children from six months of age. Uh, to three years of age. That's the probably the most expensive time uh, when a family has to place their child in childcare because after that you are supported through the ECCE scheme, which is the free preschool uh, child scheme. Uh, and indeed, when they turn six, they're at school and you only need childcare then for after uh, after school hours. So it's a reduced cost. So what we've looked at is a 111 million euro non-means tested focused on those individuals, uh, and that would actually reduce the cost by. On, for the average family of about 96 euro, there is other measures there. For example, increasing maternity benefit by uh, raising it by 40 euro, increasing the number of weeks by two, also increasing the free preschool years by five weeks each year, uh, which would support parents that have um, that have children and uh, at that age age level. But in terms of the question that you asked, how do you actually pay for all of this here? Well, first of all, we know that there is a billion euro that is available to invest or to spend in the economy this year. Uh, you can grow that bill, billion euro if you decide to uh, increase taxes in certain areas. So in Sinn Féin have, uh, given the fact that we have a crisis in housing, given the fact that we have a crisis in health, given the fact that the education has been starved of necessary fundings for many years, uh, we've decided to, to look at areas of taxation. So there are areas that we think are aren't particularly painful to individuals. Uh, for example, instead of a 1% tax on gambling, we want a 3%. Um, it would bring in nearly 100 million euro. Commercial stamp duty um, is a major issue. Um, commercial property and the fact that a third of uh, commercial property in Dublin has been sold in the last three years. We're now entering a bubble period again uh, and we want to increase it from 2% to 3%, brings in another 117 million euro. We want to introduce a sugar sweetened drink tax. Uh, this is something I think now that has universal universal approval across the political d- divide um, and we want to do that not to raise money although it does bring in over 100,000 100 million euro and uh, what we want to do is we want to change behavior so that we s- deal with the issue of obesity the biggest killer that the state will have in the next couple of years unless we
we tackle it. And there's a number of other measures as well. For example, um, the fact that we provide uh, tax reliefs for to people who are earning, uh, you know, uh, pensions that are gold plated is is just unjustifiable in my view. I think people on the average pension are in, you know, if you look at a guard, their average pension is thirty thousand euro. A teacher is thirty three thousand euro. But the fact that we are actually supporting through our tax code people who have multiples of that uh, is wrong, uh, and we need to stop that. So there's a number of areas where you can actually increase uh, revenue. Um, you can affect change and then you can provide for the type of investment that we want which is about investing in public services and but crucially it's about reducing the cost of living for individuals so that's getting rid of your third level fees making sure healthcare is affordable uh, dealing with the other areas of, of cost in terms of uh, returning to, to, to school uh, it's dealing with the issue of motor insurance it's dealing with the issue of mortgages and so on and so forth so they're the, the issues that Sinn Féin want to focus on in the year ahead just one more question for you because we are quite short on time. Abolition of water charges. We've seen the EU kick up a bit of a stink recently about that topic. How do you guys plan to deal with that and deal with the problems that may arise? Well, we've made it very clear for years that we were opposed to water charge. We've always been opposed to water charge and we used um, the ministry that we had in the north to stop uh, water charges taking effect in, in the north of Ireland. Um, the EU have, um, have made some utterances in the last number of months. We have legal opinion, which is very, very clear, that uh, as long as we are um, investing in water, uh, and making sure that we're reaching the principles of uh, of the directive, then there, there does not need to be charging. And that's why, while at the same time that we're abolishing water charges and abolishing the local property tax, what we are also doing is investing an additional 200 million euro into water infrastructure to actually replace the pipes to uh, deliver the networks that were needed. Um, so it's not just about you know abolishing the charges; it's actually because we recognise uh, more than most that we need the investment in water infrastructure and we're willing to put our money where our mouth is. Pierce Doherty, thanks for joining us. Back to you, Stephen. Thank you. Pleasure. Thanks very much, Tom. Well, that brings an end to today's Newswire. Thanks to all the team. We're back tomorrow at the same time at four o'clock. Until then, have a good evening. 